you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 126. We're going to wrap up this three-week series. Um, I've had, I had people nervous about the series because tears sounds like the most depressing series ever. I'm like, it's only three weeks. Well, that's good. And then two weeks after, they're like, could you just keep the series going? We love crying. So I don't know what that means about them. But hey, we have really seen God move in the series. And I've just been praying about next year, actually doing another three weeks next year because there's so much to tap into when we talking about tears. Um, continue to get connected. I know young adults, uh, not young adults, young marrieds are getting uh, together tonight. So if you are newer to the church or you are younger married, what does that mean? I will let you define that. That way I do not get in trouble. Um, but younger marrieds, it's 20s, 30s, uh, please join us. I'm excited about the knitting and crocheting because some people think that it's just for one generation. But let me tell you, millennials and zers love to knit and crochet. It is a a particular skill that I do not possess whatsoever. Um, I am horrendous at it. I have tried it, but, uh, but I've had people say, do you mind if I bring my crocheting and my knitting, my knitting into the service and do it while you preach? I'm like, I would rather have you knitting and crocheting in service than not here. So more power to you. Go for it. Uh, but this series has just been uh, a blast to preach. Um, The Spirit of God has just done amazing things the past few weeks. And uh, just had people come up to me. In fact, I've had a handful of people, it kind of shocked me, that have gone through physical changes in their bodies from different things that have happened, and they can't cry tears. And their prayer request is they want the Lord to restore their tears again. And I thought to me, that was one of the most beautiful prayer requests I've ever heard, is Lord, bring back my tears. Uh, Some of you are married to a very teary person, and you've been praying the opposite over them. Um, I think my wife prays that in our home over me. Um, But I love tears. Uh, Dr. Paul Chappelle says this, the same tears that breaks our hearts may also nourish us in ways that matter most to God. When we allow things to break our heart, when we allow what breaks God's heart to break our heart, it puts us in a place that helps nourish our spirits. God help the church when we have, sh- when we have stopped shedding tears. God help us as a church to always walk in so much compassion that when something breaks the heart of God, that our hearts break with his. We have a, a, a song that we will sing every once in a while where the lyrics say, Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours. And I would challenge you to put that, to sprinkle that in your prayers this week. Every day, when you're spending time with the Lord, just begin to say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Why? Because I truly believe this, that tears are the oil that lubricates the wheels of prayer. Tears are the oil that lubricates the wheels of prayer. Um, really, that, that statement goes back to a story that I had heard as a child about William Booth, who was the man who founded the Salvation Army, and he had sent out a group to a very tough neighborhood, to a very tough city, and everything that they had tried, it seemed to fail. And so they wrote William Booth saying, would you reassign us a different city? Send us to another place. We have tried everything. And he wrote back two words in the telegram. The two words are, try tears. Have your heart broken. Let the Spirit of God break your heart for what breaks His and watch God begin to take your tears and to break up hard soil and begin to transform lives. Did you know this about crying? Did you know that you exercise 17 muscles when you cry? 
Some of you have got a six pack in your face from working from the amount of tears that you shed. 17 muscles when you cry. I was reading this study that was investigating tears of joy. And says overall, overall they, they kind of did this analysis of different types of positive tears, and they came up with four main categories. 55% of tears shed in joy are affectionate tears. This occurs when somebody has experienced um, an exceptional amount of kindness or love. For example, um, at my daughter's wedding, I'm not sure there was a moment for which I was not weeping uncontrollably like a child's. Those are affectionate tears. Or if you're like me and you decide to watch the most emotional things when you're laying in bed, I watch, uh, I watch videos of servicemen and women coming home and surprising their families and I just weep in bed. It is the, it's insane. I don't know why I do that to myself before I go to bed, but it's just a touching thing. So affectionate tears. 29% of positive tears, joyful tears, are what's called achievement tears. This is, uh, this is what happens when somebody um, does something that awards a prize. Um, it was years ago, a friend of mine's like, I'm running a 10K, you should run it with me. And I had no desire to run a 10K. And so I ran it, and I ran in such a way that, I, honestly, I, I was afraid someone was gonna pass me up, which I guess is the way you're supposed to run a race. But I got out ahead, and I just kept running in a panic that somebody's gonna catch up with me. In fact, I kept hearing somebody behind me, not realizing it's the people on bikes that are supposed to be with the leader of the race. I thought it was another runner, so I just kept running faster and faster. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I won an entire race. And I crossed the finish line. And I remember, why am I crying now about it? I don't know. I remember seeing my wife and I just sobbed on her shoulder. I had never won anything in my entire life, ever. And I just sobbed on, my, on, on her shoulder. And so I went up and got the award for like, you know, the, the best runner of the day. And then, but I didn't win the best for my age bracket because once you win the overall, they take you out of the other one. So my wife went up there angry at the guy. So you give him that award, he cried. So <laughs> achievement tears. Uh, achievement, what's the achievement? Yesterday, Schoolcraft High School boys won the state championship. That's achievement. Uh, number three, beauty tears. When you see something overwhelmingly beautiful, like when you see my Adidas and you cry tears, you're like, oh, they love Pastor Dave's Adidas. Um, I remember my, my son talked about uh, going to the Grand Canyon. He went to the Grand Canyon last year and uh, just talked about just the sheer magnitude and beauty of, of nature. There's amusement tears where you think something is extremely funny. Um, that adds up to about 3% of our joyful tears. So I don't know if you've ever seen somebody laughing so hard they have tears streaming down their face. Um, that happens where I get overly tired. I watch, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Fail Army where I will watch and then I start laughing so hard that my family just says, he's lost it. And so th that's the levels of joyful tears that, that scientists and studies have found. Why are we talking about that? Because that's the way I really wanted to end this series is talk about joyful tears, but that's really what we're getting here in Psalms chapter 126. Psalms 126 is part of a series of chapters in the book of Psalms, are, which are called the Psalms of Ascent. This was the song list, or we preached this, I think it was back in 2016. We did a series called Playlist, where we talked about 
sung. They were sung by the children of Israel as they were going back to Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship. So they would sing these songs, quote these songs, pray these songs on their way to worship God. And so we get to this chapter, and it's such a beautiful chapter on joy because five times in this short chapter we get the word joy or a variation of the word joy. So look here, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said amongst the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping will bear the seed for sowing and shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You get that last verse? Any of you grow up on the old hymn, bringing in the sheaves? Anybody remember that? Any of us of older generations? I just said us of older generations. I guess I'm that age. Uh, we, we used to grow up singing a hymn, bringing in the sheaves. We will go rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And we changed it in Bible college to sleeping in our sheets. We will go rejoicing, sleeping in our sheets. It's lame. Christian jokes, I know. But this chapter is all about the switchover where there was a time of weeping. There was a time of groaning, a time of hurting, a time of brokenness. And this chapter says that there was this season that when we went out weeping, guess what? God will change that time of weeping to be a place of not just sowing, but reaping. That your tears will go like seeds within your heart and God will bring a harvest out of your lives. And the harvest out of your life will be joy. The Lord wants to bring joy in your life. Some of you, you need to get some joy in your life. You might say, well, I have joy in my life. You need to remind your face right now because some of you look like you're very grouchy and did not have your fiber this morning. The Lord wants to give you joy. Now, I love this first verse. The first verse, it's, it's such a beautiful verse and it's packed. It says, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. Now, I hope you have paper Bibles because I do think that they're better than the digital Bibles, not because they're holier, just because you can write in them a little bit more. I love reading this and I've got this thing underlined and circled because it's such an amazing, deep verse because the scripture right there, it says, we were like those who dream. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's time to dream. Now, that word dream in the Hebrew actually has two different meanings. The first meaning is this. It's like we were like those who dream. What is it talking about? That word dream or those who dream signifies specifically that we feel like prophets because the prophets were the ones that received dreams. And when they received dreams, it's because they came face to face with God. And when they came face to face with God, God would begin to instill in them a vision for the nation, a vision for their family, a vision for the world around them. And so this is what the, this is what the people said. It's like, man, when the Lord restored our lives, something transitioned in us. We were no longer so focused on ourselves. We began to be like the prophets. We met face to face with God and we began to dream all over again. I want you to understand something, that joy is a byproduct of coming face to face with God. If you need joy in your life, I'm so glad you showed up here today because my heart is this, is that you would get face to face with God, that you would get real with God, that you would open up your heart to God because just because you come to church does not mean you're gonna come face to face with God. 
It's just like going to school doesn't mean you're going to come face to face with education. Believe me, I slept through a lot of classes. I'm here to tell you my grades do not reflect that I always came face to face with my education. But we're not here to show up to listen to Pastor Dave talk. We're not here to show up just to meet a few people. And I hope that you have that enjoying aspect. But my goal today is that you would come face to face with God. And the byproduct of that is that the Lord would restore in your heart joy. That something would take place within your heart that would begin to dream in ways you've never dreamed before. Now that word dream also has a second meaning in the Hebrew. So first, the first meeting, it connected to the prophets. The second meeting is the word health. This is the Hebrew word for health. So some translations will say this. We were like those who were restored to health. Think about that. The more spiritual you are, the more healthy you ought to be getting. The more spiritually healthy you get, the more you ought to be dreaming. And I think a mark of spiritual health in your life is the ability to dream again. And what am I talking about with dreaming? Now, I'm not talking about what we necessarily do at night, even though God can speak to those dreams. My wife and I, we we talk about this all the time. I wake up, like this week, I'm like, I just had a dream. I went to prison for a crime I did not commit. Sounded like some TV line. And she, every time, says, I don't get how you remember dreams. She goes, I don't think I dream. She knows she dreams. She doesn't remember it. I remember the weirdest, weirdest situations that, that come up and they're all in my head and it's how I come up with messages sometimes. Like, oh, that was good. That's a great illustration right there. But we are like those who dream. The scripture says this, is that when we get healthier, we ought to be able to dream again and the healthier you get in the Lord, the Lord will begin to give you dreams. And this is when some people, some people have gotten to this place in their spiritual life where they've stopped dreaming. They've stopped dreaming for a better marriage. They've stopped dreaming for for a better life for their family. They've stopped dreaming for more in their life. They've stopped dreaming for any type of hope that could ever happen, for any type of healing, for any type of virtue, for any type of peace. And I'm here to say that the Lord wants to come into your life and he wants to have such a transformative encounter with you that he wants to begin to get you to dream for more than you've ever asked or imagined. I'm not preaching a weird prosperity gospel that we see on TV, but I'm talking about there is prosperity in our life that goes beyond the checkbook, that God wants your joy to prosper. God wants your peace to prosper. He wants your life to prosper. He wants friendships to prosper. But for some reason, the devil has come in and he has stolen your joy, and because he has stolen your joy, you have no reason to dream for better. Our marriage will never get better. The life will never get better. The job situation will get better. I can never dream for more. It's because we think the devil has stolen the joy. But can I tell you this? The devil can't steal your joy. It's not possible. It's just not. You know, the devil doesn't steal our joy. We give it away. And we lose our joy when we give secondary issues primary places in our lives. See, it's no wonder why we have no joy in our marriage because if your spouse is the source of your joy, you have set your spouse up to something that they can never, ever achieve or accomplish for you. Your kids were never meant to be the source of your joy. Listen, the scripture says, train up your child in the way that they should go. You want to know what the key thing is? Go. (laughs) I did not train my kids to stay. I trained my kids to go. So they come back and visit, obviously. (laughs) But 
the idea is this kids cannot be my source of joy. Listen, you're not there at a job just to simply make money. You're there on mission. God has placed you there, and I'm believing that God is going to begin to restore your dreams again. God's going to begin to pour into your life because when you make Jesus the center of your life, you begin to get dreams. And when you begin to get dreams, joy begins to follow after that because when you begin to have your mind explored by what God wants to do and can do in and through you, it is no wonder why joy follows that because when God gives you a mission, he empowers you to do that mission. When God gives you a calling, when God gives you purpose, when you begin to see what God can do in your marriage that you think is so broken and dysfunctional, it begins to see, God begins to show you what he can do in you and in your spouse and in the both of you. All of a sudden, joy begins to come up because, Lord, you wouldn't show me this if you weren't going to help us through this. We have to keep Jesus the main thing. And if we keep Jesus the main thing, I promise you, there will be plenty of joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why do I love that verse so much? Because what Paul is trying to get over to the Roman church is like this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not a matter of the everydayness of life, but it's all about right standing, peace, and joy in the Spirit of God. He wants to do more in our life. Now, don't get me wrong. Circumstantial happiness can be fun. Schoolcraft winning yesterday, that's fun. You know, a, a team winning, your bracket, I know your NCAA brackets are all perfect at this point, that's fun too. Their circumstantial joy can be fun in the moment, but the reality is this, is kingdom emotions transcend circumstances because they're not a depiction of feelings but a state of my soul. Circumstances, that's wonderful. That was never meant to contain us. The difference between happiness and joy is that joy is a kingdom emotion and it transcends a circumstance because it's never a state of my emotions. It is a state of my soul. This is why the people of God in the New Testament, this is why they didn't wring their hands when they began to get martyred, when they began to get persecuted. Why? Because they said, take our land, take our things, take our money. None of that ever dampened our joy. Our joy is in the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's something that the American church needs a revival of, we need a revival of recognizing that our joy does not come from our nation. It does not come from Washington, D.C. It does not come from our capital. It doesn't come from people that we vote for, nor from the laws that we are given. Our joy comes from Jesus. And if we can get to the place where we can be strong in the Lord, then we don't have to worry about being strong in all the other things because the joy will be our strength. God, help us as American Christians get to the place where we're actually Christians before we're Americans. We serve the Lord before we think about everything else because it's in him we live and move and have our being. I love that New Testament church. Take whatever you want. That's not where our joy is at. And this is one of the things that frustrated the Romans and frustrated every empire that tried to subdue the Christian movement. It frustrated them. Is we keep taking things again. We keep taking away their leaders. We keep imprisoning people. And the church keeps exploding. Why? Because the fruit that you see is the result of the roots you cannot see. We root ourselves in the Lord. And we become like those who start dreaming. 
What makes revival happen is seeking first the kingdom of God and letting him begin to move in our life. And as he begins to move in our life, we become like those who dream. We start getting healthier. We start looking at our world in a different way. We start responding in a different way. We start treating our spouse in a different way. We start having a certain joy around us begins to pour out into people around us. And we become prophetic in everything that we do, proclaiming the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. I love this. Verse two, look at this. We get this transitional word. Then our mouths will be filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said, I love this, they're not saying it, the testimony of the community will say, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. Now they needed this word of transition because the history of this of the movement, the, the children of Israel, is they were descending back to Jerusalem. They had spent 70 years in captivity. 70 years in captivity because of their own doing. We actually preached about that in week one. And as they, as they come out of that, as they are descending back, they're like, man, as we're walking back toward the Lord, we're beginning to dream again. We're beginning to think again. We're beginning to have joy again. And the promise is this, is that they will be filled with shouts of joy. That word shouts of joy is used three times in Psalm chapter 126, and we have taught this for 13 years now, is that every time you see something repeated in Scripture, it's there for an emphasis. It's saying this, that these people are like, we just came out of 70 years of captivity, and God has got something in store. You see, I need you to write something down. I think this is so key, especially for those in the house, you're struggling with joy this morning. I need you to write this down. God's promise of joy means we can put a clock on our struggles. God's promise of joy means you could put a clock on your struggles. You put the, time, they put the timer on it because it's just a matter of time. I have never once and will never ever promise that we as, a, as believers will ever go through life struggle free. You ever hear that preaching from the pulpit? Please leave K first. You ever see that on TV with the TV preacher? Please block that channel. I'm here to say we will go through the struggles. We will go through those situations. We will go through things that, will, that, can, that want to in the earthly crush us and snuff out our joy. But Israel is proof that life doesn't go as you expected, but we can trust God and God has the perfect plan and God will always, always renew our joy and redeem our future. His promise is there. He will renew your joy. As your joy run out, he will renew your joy. You feel like you have no more future? He will redeem your future that I can face things because I know my God is faithful. We used to sing that years ago, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We can face tomorrow because he lives. We can face the next day because he lives. We can face the next snowstorm in spring because he lives. By the way, the next snowstorm, we call that pollen. All right, that's coming too. We can face it all. And because following Christ, it doesn't mean we don't face struggles. The beauty is because we follow Christ, the struggles don't have the final word. That's a good word for somebody this morning. Your struggle has got a time on it. The timer is clicking. And the joy that God sets before us helps us with the agony of what we're feeling right now. I love that word in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says this, that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Now, I want you to see that Jesus' joy was not in the actual cross itself. The painful, torturous thing that he was dealing with. 
The joy for Jesus was not in what he was going through in the moment. The joy was what he knew what was on the other side. Some of us have got to get our eyes off the moment. Well, people aren't doing what I think they ought to be doing. Well, welcome to the real world. Well, life isn't going the way that I planned it. You know what? That happens. Life doesn't look like the way that I had forecasted it. That happens as well. But this is the one thing that God can give us in this moment is that he can take the tears of weeping over what has been broken. He can redeem them and begin to seed them. And God can use those to redeem our lives and to give us a fresh future. And the joy that he puts in front of us is bigger than the agony that we're feeling right now. I love this. Verse three. It says this. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Now, if you read this in the English, this is what's so terrible about the English language. It says the Lord has done great things for us. Most of our translations say the exact same thing. If you've got your, your, your paper bottles, underline that has done because in the English, it actually doesn't really indicate what the Hebrew is trying to say. The Hebrew indicates something is ongoing and continuous. So let's reword that in the English so it actually reads the way it's supposed to read. The Lord has done, will do, and will continue to do great things for us. That's a good word. Whenever you are depressed, when you are broken, you're wondering, God, have you forgotten about me? Turn to 126, verse 3, and begin to reread the, that verse the way it's supposed to be read. The Lord has done, will do, and will continue to do great things for us, and we are glad. How glad, and how much does God provide? That's verse 4. Restore our fortunes like the streams of Negev. That may not seem like a big deal to you because none of you have been in Negev. You know what? I have not either. But what the story and what the history of this verse is, is there were streams that would come through in Negev. Now, when we think of streams, you might think of like the Kalamazoo River or something like that. In Negev, it was a very desolate place. And the reason why they talked about streams is because when the rainfalls would come during the rainy season, flash floods would come. And they knew you could not be in the riverbed when the flash floods come because the flash floods, floods could literally destroy you. They will snuff you out. I've said snuff out twice in a message. That's a record for me there. But these rivers, these flash floods would come in and literally fill the beds, flow with such magnitude. And what, the, what the, the author is saying is, listen, the goodness of God, the grace of God that has happened, that will happen, that will continue to happen, it will come in like a flash flood. When your life is desolate, if you feel dried out and broken, if you feel empty and you're wondering, does God care? I want you to brace yourself because God wants to do more than just sprinkle you with a little bit of blessing and a little bit of joy. He wants to flash flood your life with joy. And everything that seem barren, God's joy will flash through your life and bring the power and the life that you've needed back in your life. That's the promise in verse four. And then verse five and six, if I can have a keyboard so I can come settle down and we can actually close up here. Verse five and six, this is so good. And those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, I love the word weeping is connected to a seed. What do we say in, in, in week number one? Your tears do not go unnoticed by God. Your brokenness does not go unnoticed by God. 
Those tears you've cried over your, your children who have wandered away from God. They've not gone unnoticed by God. The brokenness over your spouse. The brokenness over what the doctor has said. The brokenness over the bills that have been stacking up. The brokenness over the hopelessness. The brokenness over the depression. The, it's all got a timer on it. And those seeds, those, those tears you've been crying, they're like seeds that have been falling to the ground for the sowing. And this is the promise. And you shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in the sheaves. What are the sheaves? That's the harvest. The, pray, the prayers you've been praying, they haven't fallen on deaf ears. There's a harvest coming. Sheaves are coming. And you may not see it in the moment, but I'm here to tell you, this spring, as you're driving around, what are you, what are you starting to see right now? I saw it just the other day. There's, a, there's a, 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 what do you call it, a field that I drive by, taking my son to work. And the other day, it looked normal. But when I came back the next day, it was all turned up. Why? The tractors have gone through. Which means the seeds are starting to go down. And it's, it's hard to rejoice over that because there's nothing that we see right now, but we know that fall is coming and with fall comes a harvest. And for some of you, you have been sowing for years and my prayer is this, that the harvest was going to be coming any time, any day right now. But I know what the tears can do. I had heard this great story and so I had to look it up for myself. And according to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, a dense fog covering seven city blocks with a depth of 100 feet is actually composed of less than one glass of water. A dense fog, seven city blocks, a hundred feet deep, is composed of one glass of water. That amount of water is divided into 60 billion tiny droplets. What does this matter? Because some of you have shed so many tears that it has become like a fog. Now, I mean, a fog, I mean, one glass of water, fog, I mean, you'll never look at fog the same again. But for some of us, we have a hard time seeing joy because of the tears that we've been shedding. A hard time with joy because of the depression and the darkness that we've been feeling. A hard time with joy because of the brokenness that we have experienced. We have struggled with joy. The tears come in and it fogs our vision. And I believe in that this morning, that God wants us to dive into joy. And to experience his joy. To call out to joy. Well, pastor, until I experience it, there's no way that I can embrace it. But I would say this. Sometimes we need to embrace that which we haven't seen yet. Scripture says in the book of James, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. What does that mean? To consider joy? That means that sometimes you don't see joy in the moment. You've got to look for little droplets. You've got to look for a little bit of moments. And you've got to begin to see that there is joy that's still there that God wants to do something in and through that moment. It was a story that goes back to the time of Napoleon, and he had a general by the name of Massena. And one day he suddenly appeared with 18,000 men before the, this Austrian town that had no means of defense. And the town council had nearly decided to surrender when the old dean of the church reminded them it's Easter and begged them to hold services as usual and leave the trouble in God's hands. So this they did. And when the French armies heard the church bells ringing joyfully, they concluded that an Austrian army had come to relieve that place, and they quickly broke camp and they retreated. Before the church bells ceased ringing, the Frenchmen had begun to retreat and they completely vanished. 
The devil wants you to surround you. He wants to depress you. He wants to break you thinking that you have no way out. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if the people of God, instead of looking at what's surrounding, look at what's within us. Because greater is he who is within us. And perhaps the church, perhaps if we started taking joy in the Lord and considering it pure joy that God is with us, we don't know what we're doing next, but God is with us. We don't know where we're going to go next. God is with us. We don't know how we're going to overcome, but we know God is with us. And we know that even though we have been shedding tears, that God's promise is on the other side of our tears is something we call joy. And if you're here today and you need joy, I believe that God wants to bless you with that. That God wants to anoint your life with joy. I believe this morning that God wants to reveal to you dreams again. I believe, we at this church, we believe in the Spirit of God. We believe that the Spirit of God gives us gifts, and I believe one of the gifts is a gift of prophecy. I believe that God wants to give you prophetic vision over your family and of things that you have never, ever experienced before. I believe that God wants to give you vision for your marriage that you never thought you can have. I believe that God wants to give you a vision, a prophetic word for your workplace, for your neighborhoods, for, you, for, your, for the ministry that God has been maybe stirring up within you, but maybe you keep saying no because like, Lord, use somebody else because like Moses, uh, I'm a stutterer, or I'm, I'm unable, or I, I have leadership issues. I love those excuses because those are the ones I gave God back in 1991. And if we will just open up our life, God will cause us to dream again. And I love when God causes us to dream again, there's a joy that comes with that. Because when God gives us a gift, it's a proof of his presence is right there. And that presence wants to give you joy. Would you just bow your heads? I'm done yakking this morning. I'm done talking.